Well, friends, uh, as we continue to worship our Lord, Lord willing, through the, the preaching of His Word, I would ask you to stand now for the reading of His Word. Uh, I'm going to read aloud verses 1 through 5 of Galatians 6. I would ask you to stand as you're able. And when I'm done reading, I'm going to say, this is the Word of the Lord, and we'll respond together, thanks be to God. So Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. We are coming close to the end of our study in the book of Galatians. It's been about a year and a half that we've been making progress through Galatians together. And uh, we come to the final chapter now. And uh, last Sunday, uh, our brother John Carroll preached on the topic of prayer here. Uh, so I've been working on, on this sermon, thinking about it, meditating for several weeks now. And part of that time, I was, uh, I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail with some of uh, the brothers here in the church and, and some of our sons. And uh, the kind of hiking that I do is, of course, very slow hiking. Um, but I spent several days uh, hiking on the Appalachian Trail with a heavy backpack on and meditating on this text. Bear one another's burdens, for each of you will have to bear his own load. Uh, and it was, it was helpful for me to be bearing a load while I was thinking about this. And it was helpful for me to, to think and to realize that in the same way that there were a few of us making our way down the trail together to the destination, which was Bob Gordon's truck, uh, where we'd get taken back to, to our vehicles from the beginning, the same way that we were there together, there were 11 of us toiling together mile after mile uh, with weight on our backs, uh, trying to, to get to our destination. So we sit here this morning uh, in this room, in this auditorium, uh, as a family of people that are, are not really stationary, but we are on the way somewhere, aren't we? Uh, we've, been, we've been singing of, of our destination, the, the presence of the Lord who redeemed us, whom we love. Uh, we recognize that this life is not, is not eternal, and not only is it not eternal for each one of us individually, but the age that we're living in does not go on forever. There is an end. And we will stand before our Lord. And we'll recognize that this life was, was merely the beginning, really. Uh, we're passing through as, as sojourners, as, as exiles, as, uh, as visitors here in this time. And we're doing so together. The road is not always easy. And we do have burdens that we're carrying. The Apostle Paul has explained in Galatians uh, very clearly and repeatedly that salvation is by grace alone 
through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That it is not by works of the law, it is not by uh, anyone's religious, religious adherence or anything like that that makes us worthy of the love of God, but rather salvation is a gift given by a loving God in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. And, and it is we lay hold of that gift simply through faith, which is not a work of righteousness, but it is rather stretching out the hand to receive the gift. But though it is not by our works that we are saved, our lives as those who are in Christ are very significant. The way that we live our lives. The way that we walk along the, the trail, the path of life is very significant. And that's the point that Paul is making repeatedly here in these latter chapters of the book of Galatians. He's talking about what does it look like to, to walk with the Spirit of God to live life together as Christians along this journey of discipleship. The text we have this morning, verses 1 through 5 of Galatians 6, um, I have a, a three-point outline for you. We see in this text there is, a, there is a certain call that God gives us. The Spirit calls us to bear one another's burdens. There is a caution that we are given. We have to be careful as we do so, that we not fall into pride. And then there is a, there is a cure. Uh, if we are caught in that snare, we examine ourselves and remember that each will have to bear his own load. So that's the, that's the, three, the three points that I want to make to you the next few minutes. There's a call, there is a caution, and there is a cure. I'm trying hard to alliterate. First, notice the call in the text here. It is a call to bear one another's burdens. Listen as I read it. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. As Christians, we are not merely called to a life of discipleship to be lived out as individuals. But rather, we are called to a life of discipleship together as the family of God. The Apostle Peter makes it very clear in the second chapter of his first epistle that you, know, you who were, were not a people, you have been made a people together. The Lord Jesus refers to his disciples not as a, a bunch of isolated individuals, but as a, a flock that's coming together. And in fact, in John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus refers to His disciples as, as branches that are all on the one vine together. Part of one organism, Paul refers to us as the one body with Christ Himself as our head. We, we are not just, it doesn't, we don't just happen to be here in this room together. You know, it's not just that, that the people in this room have not yet discovered podcasts and the internet and they they have to come here to listen to a sermon, and we like these kind of sermons, so we're sitting in these pews together. Now, this, is a, this is a family that has come together at Grace Church. We have been made a people together. It's not by coincidence that we're sitting side by side in these pews and standing together and singing with one voice. We have been made disciples of the Lord Jesus, and 
by virtue of being in that relationship with him, we are in a relationship with one another. We are members one of another and members together of the same flock, Christ himself being our shepherd. And thus we have responsibility for one another as family members. You see this very clearly, I think, depicted in the, the beginning chapters of the book of Acts when the, the Holy Spirit falls on the church and the, and the church there in those robust early days, they're meeting together in each other's homes, they're devoted to prayer together, to the teaching of the Word and to fellowship together, and they're even, even selling their possessions and their property to take care of one another. There are no poor and needy among them because the poor and needy have become brothers and sisters. So they take responsibility for one another and care for one another. Now that, I've not lived in, in, a, in a, a situation, I've not been part of a church community that looked exactly like the book of Acts in that chapter. But I can say, and I think many of you probably can say with me, that, that you have tasted that quality of the church at various times in your life. There have been times when you were in need there were burdens laying on you. And brothers and sisters in the church came along and bore those burdens with you. Times when you were sick. Times when, when you were going through various trials. And, and the brothers and the sisters in the church may have even been closer to you and more readily available to you than your, than your biological brothers and sisters. You know, the Spirit of God is thicker than blood and water. You know, that may have been your experience. It's definitely been mine. There have been some times when brothers have shown up at my house with, with hammers and nails when they were badly needed and it ministered to my soul. There have been times that folks have shown up with a, a frozen casserole and it was badly needed. When babysitting was available. When friends were there. Because we are bearing one another's burdens. I know many of you, many of you have felt that. I think, I think that at Grace Church, there is a, there's a strength in our fellowship there. To notice one another in need and to be there, bearing burdens together. But the burdens that Paul is concerned with here in this text uh, are not specifically physical needs, but spiritual needs. Um, we are, of course, more than just physical beings. We are spiritual and more than just temporary lives. Uh, we as Christians are concerned for the eternal, which is the spiritual. And just like there are plenty of temporal physical burdens to bear in life from illness and surgery and all kinds of different things like that, but there are also all kinds of spiritual burdens uh, that we bear. Um, discouragement, doubt, apathy about spiritual things, fear times of hard-heartedness, times of distraction, times of depression. The darkness falls on each of us in, in one way or another in various times. What you might refer to as soul struggles. Now these are also burdens to be borne together in the church. Not just the things I'm going through physically in my life, but the things I'm going through in my soul spiritually. Uh, Charles Spurgeon in... Uh, in his comments on this text and in one sermon said, there should be real fellowship among the saints of God. We should converse with one another. 
And we who are joyous might often lend some of our sunbeams to those who are in the dark. And we ought to do so. It would be to our own profit as well as to the profit of others. We who are joyous ought to lend some sunbeams to those who are in the dark. If you've been a Christian very long, you know what it's like to be standing in the sun. And you also know what it's like for the clouds to come between you and the face of your Father and to feel like you're in the dark. Even this is a, a burden for us to bear together as a church. And I, and I will suggest to you, Grace Church, I don't think that we're quite as quick about this as we are about the physical needs. And of course, that's the way, that's the way it often is. It's, it's easy to notice when someone is physically sick. It is not so easy to notice when they're sick of soul. It's easy to see when they are worn down physically, to notice when they're not here in our midst because they're at home in bed or because they're at the hospital recovering from surgery. It's not so easy to notice when somebody is struggling with doubt and fear and spiritual lethargy. It takes a spiritual eye to see. It takes a little more effort to notice when someone is, is in the darkness of prayerlessness or they, they feel nothing in their reading of the Word, or they struggle with bitterness and resentment and difficulty to forgive. These burdens also we are called to bear with one another in these things. It's not just our physical property we're to share. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul exhorts them to strive together side by side for the faith of the gospel. And in Hebrews chapter 3, they're exhorted to exhort one another every day. In Hebrews chapter 12, to look out for one another and strengthen one another's weak hands and weak knees. And what's more, I'll point out to you in this text we have this morning, we're called not only to bear with one another in spiritual burdens, but, but even to bear with one another in spiritual burdens that arise at least in part from sin. You notice that in verse 1, the specific context here, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, when he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that, that, that does not mean caught in the sense of like somebody's caught red-handed, caught with their hand in the cookie jar. What he means is, is some, when anyone is ensnared in transgression, ensnared in sin. One translation says overcome by sin. Uh, when somebody is... When, a, when a, a sheep in the flock of God is straying too close to the brambles beside the side of the path and they get ensnared. When someone stumbles in sin. Even then, we are to bear burdens together. Now, this is hard, I think. This is worth giving a little bit of thought to. We are to bear one another's burdens in love as brothers and sisters in the church, even when the burden is self-inflicted. And friends, if we're being honest, it is very often the case, isn't it, that at least in part our burdens are self-inflicted. Our suffering is in part because of our own sin oftentimes when we're talking about real life together. Whether that be sins of omission, whether I, I have maybe neglected the fellowship of the church 
and my brothers and sisters around me, and now I am, I am feeling isolated and suffering under that burden. Or maybe I've, I've neglected faithfulness in prayer and attention to the Word of God, and I am feeling discouraged and lost and unmoored. Or maybe I've, I've neglected the, the hard work of the discipline of forgiveness, and I am struggling in the, the burden of, of resentment and hard-heartedness. Many times, friends, in sense of, of commission, we end up under burdens. I give in to temptation yet again, and I'm discouraged and doubting the grace of the gospel. I have I've toyed with the things of the world and ended up getting burned and nursing my wounds. I've made unwise decisions, things that I knew were unwise, and I've ended up in relationships or circumstances that have become a great burden to me, despite the counsel of godly people around me. Oftentimes our suffering is, in part, because of our own sin, we end up ensnared, caught in transgression. And again, this is hard, friends, but it's very important. We, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as disciples of the Lord Jesus, redeemed by His blood. When we, we see a brother or sister caught in transgression, we do not write them off because they're responsible for the situation that they're in and say, oh, well, he made his bed. Now he can lay in it. Ah, it's the chickens coming home to roost. You know, you can, I mean, there's plenty of cliches to say that communicate the same thing. And, and maybe what I'm telling you is rubbing you the wrong way a little bit. I think probably that is, is rubbing our American individualism the wrong way more than it is rubbing our soul in Christ the wrong way. You know, if you were raised like I were raised, you know, there were people who were worthy of help and there were people who were not worthy of help. And you had to be careful to help the people who were worthy and not help the people who weren't worthy. And if somebody got themselves in the situation, you had to make sure that you weren't helping them too much or you might make things worse. And that's true. Enabling one another is a real thing. But friends, unworthiness should not stop our compassion and our care for one another as Christians. Because worthiness is not what generated the compassion in the first place. My care for you, my willing to bear burdens with you, that's not generated by your worthiness, if it is true Christian care. It's rather generated at the cross, isn't it? Where I, who am utterly unworthy of having my burdens borne, I, who, who made my bed and should have been left to lay in it, Jesus Christ Himself came and laid in my bed. He Himself came and took up my burdens. He came and took my burdens on His shoulders and bore them. I was caught in a transgression and I had it coming. Oh, but the Lord's compassion, His love for me was while I was yet a sinner. And friends, uh, I'll make a point of that to you because we... As family here in the church, we as Christians, we still bear responsibility in bearing burdens together, even when the burdens we see in our brothers and sisters are at least in part because of their own unwise or even sinful behavior. Our call to compassion for them is not uh, absolved because they have a hand in their suffering. 
Paul says here, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. By restore, I think we're to understand Paul saying you're, you're to, to make every effort you can to get them back onto the straight and narrow. Again, if we think of ourselves as a, as a flock making our way down the, the, the path together with the Lord Jesus, our shepherd, and some of us straying a little bit off to the side, getting a little bit too close to the thicket there along along not making wise decisions, you get, you get caught up in the brambles, caught up in the thorns. We're not to look and say, oh, another one bites the dust and keep moving. But rather make, make the efforts that can be made to, to restore that person, to bring that person out of the snare that they found themselves in and back onto the path of discipleship, back onto the narrow way. Again, friends, I think this may rub us wrong a little bit in, in, in our sense of justice as we think as Americans, as we think of, as we think as, uh, um, by our cultural values. But I think as Christians, you see that this is necessary. We ourselves were utterly unworthy of the grace of God in our lives. God had every reason to write us off and say, another one bites the in fact, we in our sin were demanding it. And yet He had mercy on us. And now how will we walk with Him on the path of discipleship? We walk with compassion for our brothers and sisters in trial, even if the trial is self-inflicted. Now again, I, I could qualify this with a lot about the danger of enabling. Uh, I could qualify this with all kinds of things. but I, I, We can talk about that later. I'm not going to qualify this this morning. Paul says what he says. If anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the shape of our care for one another in one sense, friends. Where we are willingly bearing burdens together, not just our physical burdens, but our spiritual burdens. And even when unwise decisions, when sin, when selfishness is part of the cause for the suffering. We willingly bear burdens together. Now, the, when the elders get together, one of the things that we discuss is wh where are sheep in the flock suffering? Where, where, where do you see members of this congregation walking down this path together and they have got burdens on their back and their knees are starting to shake a little bit? Where do you see lambs, beloved of God, who are straying off the path and need, need some help to be brought back again? The elders discuss this together, but, but friends, it is not a work just for elders to do. It is to be on all of our minds as we look at one another. Where do you see brothers and sisters in this church whose knees are starting to wobble a little bit because they've been hit by trial after trial after trial? Where do you see them with, the, with a burden that looks like it's going to be very difficult to bear? In fact, they're flagging a little bit and falling behind. Where do you see someone who's straying and they weren't as close as they were six months ago to the fellowship of the church? We should be, we should be looking for those who are heavy laden with their knees shaking. Now, when I was hiking with some brothers last week, um, and this is, we, we've gone hiking many times before, and uh, there's always some, 
some sharing of burdens along the way. You know, there's always some sharing of, of resources, a redistributing of weight, there's a carrying of packs, there's a sharing of, of clothes, there's a sharing of food, there's pumping water for one another at the creek. And oftentimes, you know, especially in my case, if somebody's help, helping me, it's often because I, I am ill-prepared and I'm a little bit out of shape, right? But my brothers who are hiking with me, they don't look at me and despise me. Rather, they, they bear my burdens with me willingly because it's important that we all uh, get to the top of the mountain together. It's, it's not okay to say, well, he should have hit the gym a few more times. <laughs> we, we, have to, we have to arrive together at our destination at the end of the day. And it is, it is so in the church. The burdens are to be shared. And on some level, it doesn't matter the cause. Now, the second thing that I want to point out to you in this text is that there is very clearly a caution. There is a danger about this burden bearing. The Apostle Paul says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, tempted how? When you're dealing with someone else ensnared in sin. Well, I, it, it's not necessarily the same sin that you're in danger of being ensnared in, I don't think. There are certain sins that way, that if you're dealing with somebody all caught up in this certain type of sin, you yourself might end up in it with them. Gossip being one of them. Uh, but I, I think that in the context here, uh, Paul is indicating that the temptation we need to watch out for, the snare we need to watch out for, is pride. In verse 3, he says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, you know the human heart is prone to judgment and self-importance. And coming alongside a brother or sister in need can sometimes create opportunity for such bitter roots to take hold because there is opportunity to look down on someone else and to exalt ourselves, which feels good, doesn't it? The human heart in sin loves to savor the pleasure of self-importance and superiority. And when we put ourselves in a position to help someone else in need, especially when they have a hand in their own suffering, we do create an opportunity to start exalting ourselves and thinking highly of ourselves because we have an opportunity to start comparing ourselves by one another, to see their weakness and our relative strength in whatever area it is. You know, the, the speck in their eye obscures the plank in my own eye. And then the devil lays the snare of pride under our feet. I see some other brother struggling, and I think eventually, why, why can't he just get it together? like I do. You see? You see how the snare works? I think this is what Paul's referring to in verse 4 when he says um, that we have a, a reason to boast not in your neighbor. That we don't end up saying, thank God that I'm not like that guy. Like in Luke chapter 18, the tax collector and the Pharisee. It is incredibly dangerous, this kind of snare, conceit and pride. And dangerous on, on one level because it is so easy to fall into this way. We're so inclined this way. But, but also dangerous because at the root, humility is such a, a key part of, of knowing Christ and trusting in Him. 
Humility is such a significant part of the foundation of our faith. It's not for nothing that the Lord Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And if we aren't careful, friends, in the work of bearing one another's burdens, that work can become an occasion to begin to compare ourselves with one another, and our own selective assessment of our personal worthiness will grow, and the debt paid at the cross will begin to shrink because we begin to think of ourselves as more as more worthy of God's love, so what He had to, to pay for becomes smaller and smaller in our estimation, and that our love for Him begins to fade, and the next thing we know, we're the ones ensnared and needing help. I'll, I'll, give, you a, I'll give you an example here. Um, I played lacrosse in high school. I played at Patrick Henry High School. It was the very first year that there was lacrosse at Patrick Henry, and it was all off-season, out-of-shape football players that played lacrosse. It was a mandatory, a mandatory thing at that point. And there was this, this, this young guy who was like a, a Roanoke College lacrosse star who was our coach, and he was going to start this program here. And he was great, and none of us had ever played lacrosse before, ever. And I remember after one of the first games, we're riding back to the high school on a school bus, and we're arguing with each other because we just got destroyed by probably Salem High School. I don't know who it was, but we, we were crushed and uh, we're arguing with each other, you know, about, about who was at fault, you know, and there's some guys, you know, the forwards were telling the defense guys, you know, oh, you're holding us back, you can't stop the ball, blah, 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 and they were saying, well, you guys are up there, you know, you can't take a shot for anything, and, you know, you guys are holding us back, and everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else, blaming who's the one, because, you know, com- compared to you, I'm good, you're bad, you're the weak link, I've got it together. Well, this, this young guy who was, you know, a, a, a star in his own right, he stands up in the front of the bus and he turns around. I remember he says, now, now listen, let me get one thing straight. You all are all terrible. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, <laughs> well, that, that clarifies things a little bit, right? <laughs> in, our, in our very small world, with our very low standards, we had begun to compare ourselves to each other and say, you're holding me back. I'd be a star without you. And this guy stood up and gave us some healthy perspective. And no stars on this bus. (laughs) Now, you, you see my point. We are all far, far from the glory of God. But when we begin comparing ourselves by each other, we can, we can start to have our own little hierarchy. And we can start thinking, especially if we're trying to, to live life together and we're not isolated. and We're trying to bear burdens together. We can start thinking, well, my prayer life looks pretty good compared to that guy. My, my attention to the Word of God is pretty significant compared to what she is doing. And we begin to have an estimation of ourselves. We begin to do what Paul says here in verse 3. We begin to think we are something when we are nothing and deceive ourselves. We have to watch ourselves carefully, friends. And and I'll say this, especially those of you, and there are many of you who have a very tender heart and you like to help people. You have to watch that you don't end up falling into the snare of arrogance and conceit in your helping. It's a very sharp and very subtle dagger in the devil's hand, and it has been the downfall of many. You begin to think that you're something when really you are nothing 
but a sinner saved by the grace of God. We have to take Paul's advice seriously and watch ourselves. Now, the last thing I'll point out to you um, very, very quickly here um, is that Paul does give us a cure. Not only do we have a, a call to bear one another's burdens, not only do we have a caution to be careful about pride in doing so, uh, but there's also a, a helpful cure. Paul provides counsel to help us avoid this snare of pride and to free ourselves from it if we've been caught. And I think uh, we look at the text here, it's, it's, it's twofold. Uh, first, Paul encourages the saints to remember what it means to be spiritual. And then he exhorts them to remember their own burden that they're bearing. Now, when I, when I say, when I say he, re, he reminds them, he exhorts them to remember what it means to be spiritual, I'm referring to verse 1 where Paul says, uh, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, I think we sometimes read that and we think when he says you who are spiritual, he means the elite spiritual green berets in the church. Those people should go into action and restore this person. Well, well Paul has just spent a significant portion of his letter arguing that everybody who's in Christ is filled with the Spirit, and everybody whose life is in Christ needs to be walking by the Spirit. We are all spiritual. I think the point is not that the, you should send in the green berets when there's, when there's difficulty, but rather, don't forget, friends, that you are spiritual people. And therefore, when you're dealing with one another in sin, you are to deal with them in a spiritual way. And what are the marks of a spiritual person that we just went through in such detail? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. That's what it looks like to be a spiritual person. And in fact, he identifies specifically the spirit of gentleness. You who are dealing with someone else in their sin and their struggles, you people who are supposed to be spiritual. Deal with them spiritually, with a spirit of gentleness. Remember when we talked about gentleness a few months ago now, uh, the King James translates that the meekness. It is that Christ-like humility, that deferential self-forgetfulness that is willing to be brought low in order to lift others up. That's especially important that we walk with the Spirit in that way when we're bearing burdens with one another because the temptation is that we would be exalted at their expense. So here's the first kind of cure, antidote. If, if you are in a place of strength, if you've got sunbeams in your life, to use Spurgeon's language, and you come across somebody else in darkness. Remember to be gentle with them. The way that Paul says here. Remember what it's like to be in darkness. And gently give grace. Don't, don't jerk them up by the hand. Like a, like a wayward toddler. Grab them by the ear. And help them in your irritation and your frustration and your condescension. But rather in a spirit of gentleness. As spiritual people. Those who are indwelled by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. Remember, friends, what it looks like to be spiritual. The second thing, and this is the very last thing I'll say. The second kind of cure Paul gives us is that we are to remember our own burden. 
here in verses 4 and 5. He says, let each of us test our own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. It's interesting, isn't it, that he begins here. Earlier he says you're to bear one another's burdens, and he ends by saying you're going to bear your own load. You may, you may think of it as being contradictory, but it's not. When Paul says you have to bear your own load, remember that each will have to bear his own load. I do think he is referring to the day of judgment. When we do stand before the Lord Jesus and everything is revealed to be what it is, we will not bear the load of guilt on that day if we are in Christ. That is the point of the gospel. We, we will not stand there to give account for our sins for which Christ paid by His own blood. But the Scriptures are very clear that we will give account for our, the stewardship of the life that we have been given. Now, we could point to many places in the Scriptures, but for the sake of time, we won't go there and read there. But read, read in Luke chapter 19, the, the parable of the, the ten minas, the 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 gifts given to be stewarded by the servants while the king is away. Read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul talks about the Lord Jesus Himself being the foundation and all of our works being built on that. Some are wood, hay, and stubble and they will burn up. And we ourselves will enter. But the works done, the way that we stewarded the life given uh, will burn up in the end. The Scriptures are clear, friends. We will give account for how we lived in response to the gospel. And with that response to the gospel is that call to be responsible for one another. We were given a life that we did not deserve, that we do not deserve in Christ. We were given a deposit in that way. Do we use it faithfully? This good news given to us. Do we care for His house, for His children, as faithful servants? We will give account to Him in the end. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says that he makes it his aim in all things to please Christ because he will stand and give account for things done in the flesh. Hell is not at stake in this account. The blood of Jesus Christ saves sinners and the blood alone. But how we live does matter. That's the point that Paul is making again and again here at the end of Galatians. We will stand on the final day as individuals before our Maker, but we will stand as individuals who were called to take responsibility for one another. I'll illustrate this way in, in closing. Uh, think about that, that hike that I, I took with my, my friends last week. And my, my boys, three, my three older boys were there hiking. And I, I always bring up the rear. You know, uh, I pretend like that's something altruistic that I'm doing, you know, but I, I'm just very slow. Um, and uh, as we're hiking up the trail together, again, sometimes sharing burdens, bearing burdens, um, we all need to stand at the top of the mountain together, like I said. Uh, but each of us will stand at the top of the mountain uh, ourselves. We bear burdens together helping to get up there. But when I stand there at the top of that mountain, I will stand there myself. And I stand there with the responsibility of a father and a friend and a brother. I won't just stand at the top of the mountain as a, as a 
a man by himself who was, was out to you know, do some ex- extreme hiking and climb some peak. I, I have my own burden to bear. Uh, not the burden of my sin, but the, the burden of fatherhood, the burden of friendship, the burden of brotherhood. I have responsibilities that I carry with me. And I stand there at the end carrying those responsibilities. Right? So as, as if my boys are flagging along the trail and I blow past them, because I got my own pack, I got nothing to worry about. You know, I may stand at the top and found that I have not borne my burden well. Because it was more than just the pack that I had. It was my responsibility for them. Now you see the point that I'm making here. We are all going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're all going to stand there and give account ourselves. We're not going to be judged as a church. We're not going to be judged as families. And none of us are going to bear the load of our sin. We cannot. Apart from Christ, we'll bear the load of our sin. But none who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will bear the condemnation of their sin. But we will bear responsibility for the lives we've lived as disciples. We are those servants with whom He's given the task. He's entrusted the task. And when He comes back, He's looking for faithful servants. Now, friends, this is sobering. It should be sobering. As we walk the road of discipleship, we walk it together. It is not just about you. It is about us together. So friends, be watching your brothers and sisters in the church. Be watching for where there are weak knees, where there are people drifting. Have eyes for those things. And like a spiritual person in the spirit of gentleness, restore them, bring them back in any way that you can. Remembering that when you stand before the Lord Jesus in the final day, you have your own burden to bear. Let that humble you and keep you from the snare of pride. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the good gift of the gospel. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us. We thank you that none of us who call upon the name of Christ will bear the burden of our own sin on the final day. But, oh Lord, we want to be good, faithful servants to you. We want to walk with you in obedience. We want to walk with you in a way that pleases you. We want to walk with you together as a church. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us to do so. Help us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We thank you for your great love for us and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.